Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Advocate Podcast from KASB. This is Mark Tallman. Uh, it is February 4th, uh, Friday. Uh, we've wrapped up about the third week of the legislative session, and it was kind of a strange one. We're going to talk about that day. I am joined, of course, by uh, Leah Flyter, Scott Rothschild, our advocacy staff, and today you've got a real treat. We're going to get some insights from our first time in a long time KSB interns. Uh, we're going to have them introduce themselves, and of course, Alec Madrigal is in the background helping me make sure I can hear and you can hear me. So uh, it was it was a kind of unusual week. Um, I don't know what the legislature did for the past 130 years of statehood when it snows, but now it's a pretty big deal. We had a, a bad storm and bad cold coming in, and so basically Tuesday afternoon we just kind of watched and got emails that everything was canceled. The legislature canceled basically their formal meetings of the House and Senate all week, only did pro forma. Most education meetings were canceled. There were a few meetings going on and some virtually, but so that meant uh, a couple of expected uh, committee hearings were, were postponed. We're, we're also still dealing with uh, uh, COVID absences continue to be an issue in some committees, and the legislature has been really focused on a uh, what is it, Scott? A, a billion dollar giveaway, a gi billion dollar tax cut for a trillion dollar company that may or may not be coming to Kansas. And there's a, a, a no one know. Well, I don't know. Some people know who it is. I don't know who this company is, but there's a lot of work to try to get them to come. And it's all a question of, of how much we want to give them, I guess, um, for for the jobs and benefit that they might bring. Oh, and by the way, the congressional redistricting map that was passed uh, a week or so ago is vetoed by Governor Kelly this week. Um, efforts will probably be made, promised to override that uh, veto, we'll see. But why don't we uh, why don't we kind of plow into what happened this week and what we expect next week? But uh, we thought we would start by our two legislative interns with us this session: Diego Chavez, who's a student at the University of Kansas, and John Forer, a student at Washburn University. They have really been thrown into the thick of things. We thought we'd start by just asking them to say a few words about maybe what they've learned or, or haven't learned so far. Um, and then we'll see. They may join us on a few other items during the podcast. So, so guys, before we plug in, what, what can you tell our listeners about what you're learning? And Diego, do you want to go first? Yeah, Mark, I'll go ahead and go first. So this week we heard about House Bill 2550 and House Bill 2553. And I thought it was really neat to meet my former superintendent, uh, Kansas Superintendent of the Year for the year of 2020, Corey Gibson. I am a product of the Valley Center School District and it was really interesting to hear him give his testimony. And one thing that I learned was that Valley Center is actually growing. It grew up around 18% since 2007. So again, it was just really neat to see someone from my area, the Valley Center area, and just, I have to give props to Corey Gibson because again, I've attended the Valley Center School District ever since I think first grade all the way to senior year. And Corey Gibson, he really does care about his students, so I can testify to the, testify to that. Well, that's great, and we certainly appreciate that. That's a 
several things there. Number one, for those of you thinking of coming and testifying, you never know who you will meet. Um, and I think also it's just the importance of, of actually having other voices. You know, we always say the legislatures, legislators get very tired of kind of the same old lobbying faces and the same old you know, statements that we share. Um, so having having new people coming and bringing their perspective is great. Thanks, Diego. John, what what are, what are kind of your some of your thoughts here uh, so far this session? Yeah, hello. Thanks, Mark. Uh, I'll just kind of give some of my overall takeaways that I've had from the session so far. Um, so if I were to describe it in two words, I would say eventful, um, yet kind of expected. Um, there have certainly been a lot of high-profile bills. You had mentioned, obviously, there's redistricting and the $1 billion uh, eco-debo. Uh, bill going on, but even in education, a lot of uh, the interesting, to say the least, uh, bills that have been introduced. Um, but I will say, you know, a lot of them we expected to come. Um, when you look at national or even local trends, you know, they're kind of not too much of a surprise, but definitely uh, something to work towards. And then just kind of based on what I've heard uh, so far throughout the session, I think a lot of the continued discussion on a lot of education bills will be kind of focused on two things, uh, school choice, which we're all pretty familiar with here at this point. And I think the other words I heard a lot was transparency, uh, specifically like parent involvement, how much should a parent be involved uh, in education? So I think the one question that I heard asked was, do parents have a right to know what is taught in the classroom? Um, and so I thought that was interesting. Uh, we, I think we had talked about in the past, the uh, parents' bill of rights that was proposed um, that's not currently a part of it, but maybe in the future that could be added to it. Uh, but anyway, those two things, school choice and transparency, I think will be a continued discussion on already proposed legislation and anything coming up here in the future as well. Well, and uh, I well, I want to pick up on that a little bit, John, but maybe I should see whether Scott or Leah, who've been kind of helping uh, helping us with our internship experience uh, this year, want to want to add anything uh, before we kind of maybe begin at the start of the week. And and John did some research there, but Scott or Lee, anything you want to add before we take off? Well, I'll just say uh, first off, I wanted to clear up that uh, the billion dollars in in tax breaks uh, is not going to Rothschild LLC. <laughs> Darn uh, it. <laughs> I'm out of the race, so. uh, but I, I think uh, John and Diego kind of, I mean, reflected on things that are going on in our state house, but they're also going on in the national scene. So, you know, what, what you hear on the national news about uh, critical race theory and parental bill of rights and, and things like that. I mean, th those are very national conversations that are also going on uh, uh, very intensely in Kansas too. So, Another reason for our advocates to, to stay abreast of what's going on. I agree, Scott, and it's it's certainly, I think, been a learning experience for our interns and will continue to be as the session unfurls. Well, let's, let's go back to Monday uh, because the first hearing of the week uh, was on uh, – one, one of three bills heard in the K-12 committee that uh, supporters um, have, have are really championing around the idea of school choice, parents' rights, giving parents more options. And that bill, uh, 212551, am I right? See, I don't have it in front of me. That starts by saying that essentially, notwithstanding the rules of the 
High School Activities Association. Uh, a child in a school district who is a homeschool student, a virtual school student, you know, attending another district, uh, or at, at least as we read the bill, and it really wasn't refuted in committee, basically any private school uh, child, at least not accredited private school, that wanted to participate in your district's activities that are governed by the State High School Activities Association would have to be given permission to do so. Now, they'd have to follow all other rules, but you couldn't create any additional fees, enrollment requirements for such students. Um, and this was really touted by supporters on the committee uh, as a way to give homeschool students who are residents of the district, taxpaying families, but have chosen not to participate in the public school system, the opportunity to take advantage of these programs. Um, in fact, part of the discussion we had, and uh, 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 chair of the committee, Representative Christy Williams, uh, basically, you know, said she saw this as a positive thing for public education, a way of connecting with homeschoolers, noting that many districts are losing enrollment. Some of those kids may be turning to homeschools. We we don't have great data, but we know public school enrollment is down. Her feeling this would be a uh, a, a positive. Um, KSB's position was really rooted in a statement our members took that activities should be governed by the Activities Association. The Activities Association has currently taken the position that school activities are tied to that school, not, not that there's anything wrong with homeschooling. There are opportunities the association creates to work with homeschoolers, but but right now we say that uh, the Valley Center High School football team is for the students attending Valley Center High School. This bill would be a pretty big change, uh, but it, Kansas wouldn't be the first to do it. Uh, John, before we go into this, you actually did a little research and uh, ha have posted a story in our newsroom kind of looking at what some other states around us have done. You want to talk about that, and then we'll let other people jump in. Yeah, and so uh, I was just going to... So the bill number is it's House Bill 2511. Thank you. Um, yeah, just wanted to clarify that. And so what I did was I just looked at our uh, some of the states in the region. So Kansas, Missouri, North, um, and then plus our neighboring states of Oklahoma and Colorado. I essentially just kind of looked at what they're what they did on this topic, and uh, kind of, I classified them into three different categories. So my first category was conditional with no statute. Uh, so in these states, there is no law guiding homeschool participation in public activities. Uh, so thus a lot of individual school districts and or high school sports associations would be able to determine who or if they wanted to allow those students to participate. Uh, so these states, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Missouri kind of follow that model. The second category I had was conditional uh, with statute. So in these states, there's state law indicating that individual school districts may or shall allow homeschool students to participate. Um, frequent, but it's frequently under the condition that the student uh, has to be part-time enrolled in the school that they represent. And so this includes Nebraska, North Dakota, and Iowa. And then the finally, the last category that I have is uh, that homeschool students are required to participate. They must be allowed to participate. Uh, and that law pretty much states that. And so that is in Colorado, South Dakota, and Minnesota. And I will add, it's kind of worth noting, um, Kansas, which is a conditional no statute, and North Dakota, which is a conditional with statute, 
uh, have very similar policies. Uh, I think North Dakota leaves it up to individual school districts if they want to allow students to participate. Um, but anyway, so that they're similar, except for the fact that Kansas just doesn't have that stated in statute. Uh, so I kind of I was saying that maybe if Kansas were you know to codify current Keisha policy in the statute or even explicitly state in law that school districts have the discretion to allow homeschool students to participate or not, um, Kansas may be considered more accessible to homeschooled students on what they do. Um, and I will just add that there is some subjectiveness to a lot of these rankings. Uh, I went through a couple of different websites and different websites had the same state um, ranked in different categories. So I've seen one website say that Kansas bars homeschool students from participation, which isn't 100% true. And then other states, well, you know, Kansas is on the sidelines where they do have exceptions that allow homeschool students to participate. And that was kind of what was echoed by uh, Bill Fatlick of the uh, executive director of Keisha. So, so, you know, that, that's a good example of the fact that very, very rarely, and this is no offense to any legislators, is, is legislation a completely new idea. And in this case, there's very clearly, I think John's quick look through the, through the, uh, through some research is that this is a fairly hot topic. A lot of states are doing different things. Um, our, our testimony, in addition to kind of focusing on the fact that the legislature has kind of created the activities association to resolve these issues, we also noted that unless a student is enrolled in a district, the district doesn't get any funding for that student, so this could, could, could potentially raise some costs for some districts without the ability to recoup those additional dollars. And really kind of making the idea that, I, I guess in my view, some of the opposition to this may come more for uh, parents of cur current students who, who may wonder whether this is fair. Um, uh, others, any other things you guys want to want to mention about this and things maybe our mem our listeners uh, should be should be considering and talking to their own communities and legislators about before we move on to the next bill. Mark, I think that was a good point that you just made about uh, parents actually being the ones who might be a little more concerned about this because if I had a a kid who is currently uh, competing or participating in sports or debate or music or or drama. I might I might be concerned, especially if I'm in a, a school district that has a lot of population growth. I might be concerned about uh, my kids' opportunity being um, being being um, overshadowed by you know the entrance of a, a kid from outside my school district. So I think you know, as a former former board member, um, if legislators want to be on the receiving end of some of those. Um, emails and phone calls and grocery store comments that uh, you get from parents who feel like their kids are about to be disadvantaged by something, um, they should buckle up because uh, those, can, those can be some pretty, um, let's just say, intense conversations. Running a school district is more work than most people realize. From leading a diverse staff to protecting the health and safety of employees and students, the work of an educational leader is never done. It can be overwhelming to find solutions to the challenges facing a district, but you don't have to lead your schools alone. Kansas Board Solutions, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Kansas Association of School Boards, is here to help you find the solutions you need to support your students and staff effectively and efficiently. 
With a full suite of technology and insurance solutions, KBS offers an array of services to benefit your school district. We know districts continue to face a wide range of challenges as student needs change, staffing requirements evolve, district facilities age, and much more. As a wholly owned subsidiary of KASB, KBS fulfills its mission by keeping money in local schools instead of spending it on huge year-end bonuses or high-flying corporate retreats. All of this helps us achieve our goal of helping you build and run the best schools in the nation. With KBS, you are truly getting a partner in education that serves you with a purpose. Wondering what KBS offers and how you might use it? The answer is simple. If you're in need of a software, insurance, or resources solution, KBS should be your first call. Learn more at www.ksb.org backslash solutions. Well, let, let's move on uh, to a, a kind of a related bill. Uh, the next day, the same committee, K-12 uh, Education, uh, had a hearing on House Bill 2553, which takes another tact. It would basically say that any non-resident of your district that wanted to attend, you, your district would have to allow them to transfer in subject only to capacity, which your board would determine by policy what your capacity is, but then you would be audited on that and under the bill would have to report capacity, uh, I think, four times during the year, um, and there would be an appeals process, etc. Um, and then it also said that boards could set policy that would talk about things like attendance and behavior, but it's one of those uh, phrases in the bill that said including but not limited to, so it really doesn't speak to what other criteria you could use. So, you know, it, K, so I'll, I'll kind of start with KASB's position. Um, you know, we, we as an association have a, a pretty long-standing position from years ago uh, saying that we think the decision on allowing non-resident students should be made by the local board. Now, we should hasten to add that over 20,000 students in Kansas are already attending a district where they are not a resident. That's an average of about 4.5% of, of all students. In some districts, it, it's double-digit numbers, but in some districts, it's zero. There's about nine districts that have no non-resident students, other districts where the numbers are rather small. And that's because, again, it's by board policy. So there may be a district that lets in a limited number. There may be a district that allows, say, um, uh, children of employ employees or you know factors like this. Very wide-ranging. The bill would change that. It's modeled after a new bill in Oklahoma. Uh, there was an Oklahoma state senator who talked about uh, this, uh, which has happened. Um, uh, you know, here too, uh, this would create some interesting dynamics. Should be pointed out that under the bill, the transfer would always be for one year only. It would basically say that if if the board adopted a a capacity policy and uh, the district was growing and move, you know, this year we have capacity, next year we don't have capacity, then the, then the student would not have the right to attend. So you could be moving back and forth. Um, once again, it's a bill where the where the proponents were saying this is good for kids, this is good for families. Uh, students should have the right to go somewhere else. Shouldn't be affected by you know the zip code. 
It should also be noted, though, that the bill would not provide transportation aid uh, to districts which uh, had to accept these kids. Uh, maybe that's good uh, if you have to accept a child and don't want to provide the transportation, but it clearly would seem would have an impact on the students and families that could take advantage of this bill. This is another one where it seems pretty clear that uh, my supposition is that in many cases, uh, parents, taxpayers now may not be wild about this idea. Many boards have considered this and say that, you know, their communities have said they don't want to do this. Some districts which have allowed non-residents have, have run into to some pushback from their own communities. Again, let me see whether any of uh, any, anyone else wants to make a few comments about this bill. Well, I, I think, uh, and Diego mentioned this earlier, that uh, 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 Corey Gibson, the superintendent of Valley Center Schools, uh, brought up opposing testimony to this bill. He brought up a lot of interesting comments. And, uh, you know, basically he said um, this, you know, they, this bill would allow or may require constructing new facilities to be used to serve families who are not contributing uh uh, towards the taxes to support those facilities. So I think that was pretty uh, powerful testimony. And I, and I think the issue, again, of local control is important here. Uh, as, as you said, Mark, a lot of districts do do this. Uh, but, you know, it kind of depends on uh, local uh, uh, circumstances. Clearly an example where I think, um, and again, as always, if you're, if you're listening to this, you know, we strongly encourage you to, to share your legislation. And of course, you're free. Sweet. I'm, I'm fairly confident that some people who think this is a great, that's not the position our members have taken when we've asked them, uh, but this is a pretty robust debate. And I think that there's a good chance that this could be part of legislation, uh, which obviously moves forward. Uh, it's very hard to tell what the real impact of this bill would be because number one, so many district students are already participating. Number two, we don't know what uh, capacity would be demonstrated or how that would be measured or evaluated. And we don't know how many students uh, would want to take advantage of this. In other words, how many students have have been asking or seeking a chance to attend another district uh, that have been turned down? Critical, though, to make your voice known. Final bill in this sort of uh, trifecta this week of, of legislation uh, is House Bill 2053, very similar to legislation last year that would create what are called education savings accounts. And the short way of thinking about these is it would allow families to essentially ask that their base state aid per pupil would be put into a separate account that could be used to pay for a private school tuition rather costs or other educational services either on a full-time basis in a private school or they would have the option of attending part-time and using a prorated portion of that state funding for other educational services and local districts would have to allow this. So who would be eligible? Well, any uh, any student who's eligible for free or reduced meals, which currently best estimate is around 45% of students in the state, or any student which has been identified who has been identified as needing or receiving local district at-risk services by the district. 
while many of these uh, kids receiving at-risk services are also low income, many are not. So certainly this could, easily half the students in the state could potentially be eligible for this. Of course, the question is how many would seek it? How many would be accepted by a private school? What what would their uh, capacity be? This would also be open to any private school, accredited or not. However, the bill says it would not be eligible for homeschools, but Kansas state law doesn't define a homeschool. And one of the issues we raised in testimony uh, is that fact that, well, what what is the line between this is my non-accredited private school and this is a homeschool? That's not spelled out. Uh, again, KSB uh, opposed this on our general position of opposing public funding for private schools that don't have to serve all schools. This created a, well, as the person testifying, a, a, an extensive debate uh, over <laughs> the wisdom, I guess, of our policies and whether or not um, you know this is appropriate. Uh, several groups, Americans for Prosperity, Kansas Policy Institute, uh, advocated this, saying that there is not a um, yeah, the, uh, the, essentially, a key argument of people who are concerned about these measures is to say that it 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 we run the risk of creating a a a two tier education system. The supporters argue history says this isn't true. States that, that have done this have not seen what we're worried about and have argued that this competition has improved performance of public schools as well as benefiting students. Uh, you know, I, I would personally say, in my view, the research remains unconclusive in part because many of these programs remain relatively new and, and frankly have not drawn a lot of kids. You, you can read that in, into what you wish. A key part of this discussion, and then I'll, I'll wrap up for any reaction, is also the ongoing concerns about public school performance generally as measured by test scores. And much of the discussion over several of these bills, as well as over the question of accountability. Because we often raise the question of saying, well, non-accredited schools are not accountable, homeschools are not accountable. And some legislators turn around and say, well, well, what's accountable when, when our test scores are going down or not rising? And some districts have high percentages of kids that are scoring very low, below grade level. Where's the accountability in that? You know, one of the things that we are working on and sharing is, is taking a look. We've indicated before, and it's, it's pretty clear that private schools have better test scores uh, on our state assessments than most public schools but they really aren't significantly better than public school districts with similar demographics. Private schools in general have below 25% free and reduced lunch, lower numbers of special education kids, and when you can c compare these to private or to public schools with similar dem demographics, the results are pretty similar. So our 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 conclusion is really the issue is not so much the quality of the school but the challenges of students that you're trying uh, trying to meet it's also noteworthy that private school test scores have also not been rising uh, since 2015 have actually declined and declined as, during the covid pandemic as public schools did as well so but none, nonetheless this ongoing issue around quality 
What are we getting for our dollars? Are kids being well served in public schools? Could they be better served if given more options? Are really what is at the heart of a lot of these debates. So before we kind of leave, leave this issue, while noting that the committee could start working these bills as early as next week, any last thoughts on, on some of these issues, guys, before we move on? Mark, let's clarify that bill number. It's 2553. There was a little bit of a glitch, I thought, at least to me, um, in your microphone when you said that. So that's that bill number for our folks who like to look those up. And I think um, we're going to be sharing some more information, aren't we, about those, the test scores and the achievement rates and those types of, of things. Um, yes. Resources for our folks to refer to when they're um, communicating with their legislators. Yes, that's correct. Okay, well, you know, podcasts well, abhor uh, dead air, so Scott, jump in there if you. <laughs> Go ahead, Scott. Okay. Uh, not to be Mr. Know It All, but I, but I think it's House Bill. I think it's House Bill twenty five fifty. House Bill twenty five fifty is the scholarship bill. House Bill twenty five fifty three is the non-resident transfer bill that's right thank you and house bill 2511 i was corrected is the activities association bill so keep keep your bill numbers straight well let's add another bill number and that's house bill 2466 this is the computer computer science bill that had a a delayed hearing pretty good hearing about two hours worth on tuesday of this week championing this bill is um uh, Representative Steve Hubert, chair of the Standing Education Committee, not the K-12 Budget Committee, and he is promoting a bill to promote computer science education. Probably the highlight of the hearing for some people was at the beginning of the hearing, he announced that he would be proposing amendments to the, bi the bill to remove what is currently in the bill that you would have to have a unit of computer science to graduate from high school. Uh, that has drawn a lot of opposition, including opposition from KASB. He says he's going to take that out. What really then remains is a bill that would uh, require districts to offer some type of computer science education and create some grants and scholarships to help teachers get uh, trained uh, to teach these courses, which we strongly support. So um, that th we expect this will be worked on in the next week or two uh, with that amendment. That allays a lot of our fears. The State Board of Education opposed it really on the, those grounds as well. So the hope would be, and, and the, well, I should say, the concern and testimony in the committee uh, indicated that Kansas, by some measures, is really lagging many other states in the number of districts that offer these courses. And of course, the concern is that that has an impact on employability and skills because such a high percentage of jobs in the future are estimated uh, to need computer science uh, background. That's the goal behind it. And uh, I, again, I think it, it will be less controversial with these amendments, which we expect fairly soon. Any quick comment about that, guys? All right. Okay, well, we're, we're wrapping up a lot, so let's look ahead a little bit. Uh, next week, 
Probably the big hearing is one that was proposed, postponed, I'm sorry, from this week. It's Senate Bill 362 uh, in the um, uh, Senate Education Committee. That bill, uh, so it goes back, uh, I think it was John talked about issues of transparency, and, and a lot of it comes down to what do you need to put on your website. And this bill would require that school boards post on their website and note in their minutes the result of the needs assessment that all boards are supposed to do or have done for their buildings as part of their budget process. So in a sense, this isn't really requiring anything new except putting the information on your website. The challenge is that districts do these in many different ways. Uh, that a budget developing process goes over a long period of time. Districts are already doing different types of needs assessment. And there isn't necessarily a, here, here's our needs assessment in a, in a couple of pages all wrapped up, which this bill really suggests needs to be done. So I think we're going to, to kind of work with United School Administrators to, to talk about saying, you know, we don't have a problem with making this available. It already needs to be done. It's a public document. But let's not add unnecessary work uh, to, to a process that may already be happening. The other thing it does is require that boards consider the results of their state assessment and uh, provide an estimate of how long it will take to bring all kids to, uh, to grade level. Now, this has become something that, again, the Kansas Policy Institute has talked about in some of these hearings that, you know, districts can't say when this will happen and point to the fact our, our state test scores are not going up. I think what we will try to focus on is to say what makes that very difficult is we don't know what will happen with continued funding. We don't know what will happen with issues like the COVID pandemic and our private schools, which are often championed for, for their performance and, and to give kids more options to attend. Their test scores have also uh, declined uh, both before and certainly during the pandemic and certainly have not been improving to a point where we could say when all kids would be a grade level. We'll simply point out that we've never as a system, nor has any other state, ever gotten all students to grade level. The challenge has been how do we continue to improve and, and particularly with our most challenging students, which we know won't be easy, but the efforts of both additional funding and the efforts of the Kansans Can uh, uh, program and others are, are to try to, to get us there. So um, that's part of what we'll be talking about this week. Uh, there's a few other bills, a, a bill in judiciary uh, on the House side that would make um, it would make a, a crime to abuse a sports official. So if you're a sports official listening, you, you may want to get interested in this bill. Um, there's going to be, uh, we think, discussion of a carryover bill that would uh, help enforce violations of school bus stop arms. Um, it's going to be a discussion on the Senate Tax Committee about raising the property tax exemption for the 20 mil school levy. And a number of CAPERS bills have been introduced that have not been scheduled for hearings, but 
these are everything to do with the governor's concept to, to pay off some of the unfunded liability, to creating cost of living adjustments for retirees, to relaxing some of the working after retirement rules to try to deal with the current teacher shortage. Uh, again, a lot of bills, not a lot of plans yet, but we expect those uh, to keep coming. Guys, what am I missing from uh, the calendar next week, or what are some other things you think people need to be paying attention to before we wrap up our podcast? Well, I think there's going to be an informational hearing next week on tax credit scholarships. And just to remind folks, those are those types of hearings are really at the discretion of the committee chair. The committee chair gets to pick the, uh, the conferees or the people who testify, so... Um, I, we believe that this is all part of the, um, the strategy of building support for education savings accounts, vouchers, whatever you want to call them. Correct. Scott? Uh, and I'd just like to, I'd just like to reemphasize that uh, a lot of the bills we've been talking about, uh, they could possibly come up for committee votes in the coming week. That's uh, 2511, House Bill 2511, that deals with homeschool uh, activities. 2550, which is kind of the voucher light bill. Uh, 2553, which is the any, any student can go to any district. And then uh, 2466, which is the computer bill. So all these bills uh, could come up for votes in the committee this week. So um, just kind of follow developments. Uh, we will be on Twitter and Facebook and, uh, uh, and on our website, we, uh, we, we provide a legislative, a daily legislative update. So, so these are areas you can keep up with us and, uh, see, uh, any developments on these bills. And also they might not as issue and there has been discussion and chair williams has, has mentioned this it, it's no secret uh, uh some sessions there has been an effort to bundle these what are called policy bills with the budget bill for uh, uh the department of education and the main school finance programs as well the that that is not yet scheduled for hearing and action on the budget that could happen or they could all move in very different this is what this is why you need lobbyists uh to keep track of all the things that are happening out there for you i also would want to say for those of you with the time and the effort you know one of the things that has been i guess a real advantage of, of covid there haven't been many but just the when you talk about transparency all of these hearings are not only broadcast live but they are archived so if you want to watch these hearings if you want to see what's happening what's being done what's being said the different arguments they are all available and uh, it's a good way to keep in touch with what's with what's happening well let's kind of wrap up by just noting that Monday is the deadline for individual legislators to request uh, bill drafts and Friday is the deadline for all non-exempt bills to be introduced now let me make very clear it is still really easy to get a bill introduced uh, after Friday going through a non-exempt uh, committee and there are a lot of them nonetheless the biggest uh, the biggest crush of new bills will be coming out over the next week uh, next week <coughs> and the following weeks will be uh, a real focus on committee action the last full week of February uh, is turnaround week that's the deadline for bills to be through their first house 
we always stress deadlines are kind of imaginary, um, but nonetheless, it, it kind of gives you a sense of the pace of the session. February is really the effort to get most bills through their first house. We'll be focusing on that. Uh, March is when bills try to make their way through the second house, and early April is first adjournment. So we are now well into the, 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 the meat of the session. We'll keep you posted as always. Please send us any questions or comments or anything we can share in our podcast or otherwise. Last chance for any final comment, guys. All right, everyone shaking their head. Hope everyone survived the cold weather and the war warmer weather's on the way. We'll talk to you next week. The world of education becomes more fast-paced every single day. From new legislative committees focused on education to breaking news to ever-changing ideas on effective leadership, the opportunity to learn and grow never goes away. KSB knows how hard it can be to stay on top of all the information in front of us. Understanding that challenge, we're excited to announce the launch of two new podcasts, The Advocate and CasbyCast. The Advocate brings you the latest news in the world of politics and education policy from our in-house experts Mark Tallman, Leah Flyter, and Scott Rothschild. With bi-weekly shows throughout the year, you will never miss what is happening in Topeka, D.C., or anywhere else political news is being committed. CasbyCast is our new weekly podcast held by John Heim and the executive leadership team of KASB. The group will cover all things education and sprinkle in a heavy dose of humor to get your Tuesdays started right. The good news is you're already listening to one of our new shows. If you enjoy the content and want to add another podcast to your repertoire, subscribe to KSB Live Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.